see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got guy yeah friggin guy welcome everybody it's wednesday it is let's see march 24th i believe wild is that correct yeah march 24th and uh scott bass david lee scales with you talking all things surf but i gotta say i love my athletic greens i've been devouring my athletic greens like sometimes two servings a day save it for the commercial scott save it for the commercial I'm no, just me, telling you. Me, me too. Me too. I'm just telling you. I, I, it's a part of my routine. It's an easy part of my routine, and and I feel good about it. And it's like I just feel like I'm drinking power. It. I mean, totally. And uh, I for the first I don't know month, maybe a couple of weeks, I was just doing powder with water, but figured out recently. Actually, Lauren figured it out. Almond milk, peanut butter, banana, and strawberry and mix it all together in a blender, it's phenomenal. And those things oh. sound like you know what those flavors are, so you can imagine what that tastes like. Something about the greens, it has like an earthy quality, almost like a matcha tea or something, and it adds a lot of dimension to the, it's like a the most delicious shake I've ever had, and it's nutritious. The word you're searching for is loamy. 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 It has a, a loamy flavor. I don't know what loamy is. Loam is like fertile earth that you dig your hands oh, in. Loam, loam, loam got it, yes, got it, got loam. It. And I've created a new word, loam me. Um, so we'll get into that later in the show, mid-show. But you know what the most important signifier of today is? It is March 24th, but that's not that important. You know what the biggest it's, signifier is? Well, it's springtime, but that was a couple of days ago. Episode 200. Wow. Boom. Gnarly. I know. How's that? 200 episodes. Wow. How many years has it been? Well, 2013. So eight. Wow. That's amazing. Well, congratulations to you, David, for making it happen. (laughs) Congratulations to you, Scott, for hanging in there. You've been in that longer than I have. I've got um, some interesting stuff here. Let me pull up my notes. That hat that you're wearing that you yes. got for being an early premium member on Stab? Yes. Someone's selling it on Craigslist for 25 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Look, the only reason I'm wearing it, I mean, not that I'm not a fan of Stab, but it just happens to be here. So I like put it and grab it, you know, and yeah. put it on. Yeah. Because, you know, I see your hair and I think to myself, <laughs> holy shit. If my hair looks half that bad, I got to put a hat on. That's not what you're thinking. You're thinking I can't compete with that beautiful mane, so I better just cover mine up. Well, I saw that. Truth. I saw that photo you posted from um, your. I don't know when you were 22 or something in a surf shop. Oh you, yeah, you that wasn't quite... that, that wasn't me. Oh, it that, wasn't. No, oh. those were two guys that um, I used to hang out with there at that surf shop, but that okay. wasn't me. No. I was going to say, you had quite the main as well then. No, that was Chuck Hansen. That was my Australian roommate who lived with me in Del Mar. And then when I lived in Australia, I lived with him at his house. So gotcha. Right. Uh, well, look, 
You know how we're going to commemorate episode number 200? No. How are we going to do this? With a t-shirt. With merch. With merch. That's cool. You know what? A friend of mine bought that shirt. No way. I swear to God, he posted it on... You know, we have a little text chain. He's like, look at the shirt I just got. I think oh, he bought it. I'm ship. Yeah, I'm shipping them out today. Um, so for all of our subscribers that give us $5 a month and keep this machine going, I sent out an email to them on Friday offering the merch. It'll go live to the public on Monday of next week. But because we have limited quantities of certain things like Acetone Magazine, by the way, Andrew Kidman sent me, um, I think, 40 or 50 issues of Acetone. Yeah. And... Uh, I wanted to make sure that our kind of regular subscribers are, I mean, some of them have been subscribing for years now. So I wanted to make sure that they all had first access and then we'll open it up to the public on Monday. But if you want one of these spit podcast tees, it's a knockoff of the fast times at Ridgemont high logo. We've also got the stickers right here. It'll all be available on Monday or just sign up uh for as a subscriber and i'll send you that email in advance and you can make sure you get it you know what i just realized is that if we knocked off fast times at mid ridgemont high that means potentially one of us is spicoli and the other one is like who's who's the who's the one i could be judd nelson i don't want to be that other guy no you're the other guy you're the guy that sells concert (laughs) tickets d'amato or whatever yeah yeah you're (laughs) d'amato Wait, he's the one uh, who knocks up. He's the one who knocks up Jennifer Jason Lee, right? Yes, exactly. Oh man, I do like Jennifer Jason Lee, but well, you're a father, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's been on TV. I've been like randomly, like you know how you scour the uh, <clears throat> what's on and um, the schedule there, and I've seen I've seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High pop up, and I, and I've popped it up to see a few scenes. And man, that movie it holds time well. It does well. It, it's it's a fun movie. I got to revisit it. I haven't seen it for probably a decade, but um, it's Nicolas Cage's very first role. I, which one's he? He's just a random stoner that rolls out of the van, um, oh. rolls out of Spicoli's van with all the smoke. And he's credited with his real last name. It, it's Nick, Nicholas is his first name, but his last name, I forget what it is. Oh, is Coppola. Like a, yeah, I was going to say, he's a famous, yeah. yeah, he's the son of a famous director. Or something. Nicholas Coppola, um, Ford Coppola making the connection to surf with Apocalypse Now and John Milius writing the the famous line about Charlie Don't Surf. That's right. John Milius, of course, creating the movie, uh, producing and directing Big Wednesday. Uh, I had a good I had a good conversation with Billy Hamilton about that last year. Okay. about working with Milius and actually getting punched out by Milius in his office. What? And yeah. Yeah. Because there was some legal, there was a, um, it's pretty detailed, but yeah. they tried to go into business together and it didn't work out. And Milius screwed Billy. Yeah. Uh, and to the tune of like a million dollars, like not a small amount of money. And yeah. so he went in there to go like get his money back. And two henchmen came into the room basically and punched Billy and uh, he never got paid. <laughs> well, I spent, that's fascinating. So I just interviewed PT and of course PT was in Big Wednesday and that whole filming and making of Big Wednesday is probably more fascinating than the actual movie. Even though the movie still holds a lot of, it was kind of, at the time it was kind of poo-pooed by critics, but in the surf culture, the sort of coming of age, um, you know, 
am I going to be a surfer the rest of my life or am I going to get married and have kids and move on? That sort of um, holds water, you know, today. For sure. But what I was going to suggest to you is that, so I spent four days with John Milius um, and it was fascinating. And I think I've told you the story, but I'll rehash it real quick. So George Lucas, John, George Lucas, Star Wars, right? Have I told you this? Am I boring you with this story? No, I don't remember. John Milius, uh, Big Wednesday, and Spielberg with Jaws. Those three guys were all roommates together at USC Film School. They were roommates. And they all had their, their they had a pact. They had written, literally written a contract that they would each get one or two points in each other's first films. And George Lucas's first film was that film with... Um, American Graffiti. American Graffiti was... Was that Spielberg or Lucas? No, that was Lucas. Okay. Spielberg's was Jaws. And Milius's was Big Wednesday. Well, gets, you know, those two of those three films, the first two killed it. They were like box office bonanzas, right? And so Milius got a point on each one of those. And Big Wednesday, of course, was a box office flop as far as making, generating revenue. And so Lucas... And uh, Steven Spielberg lost out on that deal. Milius made out big, but Milius was quite a character and um, sort of um, like a warmonger, kind of like a, like a war hawk kind of general type guy who, you know, like he took us to his favorite gun store when we were there. You know, wow. it was in upstate New York. We actually did the narration on my film in, at a, at a um, studio in Woodstock, New York. And it was beautiful. It was summertime and it was, uh, you know, upstate New York in the summer is really a beautiful place. And he took us around to these neat little towns and we hung out at his house on the cabin and he smoked cigars and told stories. And I remember just being sort of in awe of um, the fact, first of all, that we even got Milius to be the narrator for totally. the film. I was like, wow. And uh, that all happened through Leonard Brady, who was a friend of mine through Surfer Magazine and sort of through Sam George and it was so connection. So um, you do you want to talk about, first of all, your film kind of buried the lead. What is the oh. film? Where can people find it? What, <laughs> what is it about? People can't find it. That's the first thing they need to know. I actually have a box of DVDs here at my house that I'll get it to Ira Opper so we could put it on the surf network. We should, you know, like it. So basically the movie's called Between the Lines. We did it about seven or eight years ago, maybe even longer than that. Maybe Longer than that. Yeah, maybe it's 10 or 15 years ago. I don't know. Yeah, it was before you and I came on, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So 15 years ago. And it's a story about, it's a documentary film about Vietnam and surfing. And it, the story takes two different surfers. One guy who signed up for the war, Pat Farley from Santa Cruz, and another surfer who, dodged the draft and went on the run on the big island and in different parts of Hawaii. And that was um, uh, Brent, uh, Brant Page. And those two surfers, we followed their lives through those three or four years where one's in Nam and the other's running from the FBI. And fascinating. That's basically the story. Yeah. Are, are, so are you happy with how it turned out? Uh, yeah. You know, more or less, uh, you know how these things are like, it's like when you return to something that you created, you always feel like you could have done some stuff differently. You know, like the ending's a little hokey. We got kind of corny at the end where 
we brought them both together and then we brought an Iraqi war veteran in to kind of like make this sort of, it's a little flowery and lame at the end, I think, now that I look back on it. But um, yeah. Do you uh, want to make any more films? I would love to. I was in that beautiful position where I didn't have to worry about making money, you know? So I just got to be like, let's create a great, you know, let's create a fun story. Like what interests Scott? You know, I got to be putting that thing. Like, just imagine you get to, somebody comes to you and goes, look, I got 50,000. Let's make a movie. What, what's a good story, David? You know, and you'd be like, wow, okay, cool. You know, it's kind of like you get to make this beautiful meal and everyone provides you with, with all the wine and then the ingredients to do so. Why didn't, why didn't you have to worry about it making money? Um, well, one of my partners basically put the money up, you know, he was like, so he had to worry about making money. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he had to worry about making money, but he was also really cool about it. Like it wasn't a massive budget. It was just like, how do you fly us around? And, um, and then, you know, most of the money is put towards music licensing right. is where a big chunk of it is. So the Allman Brothers got a huge chunk of that budget. <laughs> no, no, we tried for the Allman Brothers. We could, no, we actually had a guy. We met a guy who made a um, made a, a song for the film. Yeah, um, his name was Chuck. Um, God, I wish I could remember his name. I'll try to remember it. But he was a like sort of a folksy acoustic guitar player who had a punk rock background. So he would get up on stage and just ah, da, 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 with an acoustic guitar. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're um, talking about how the documentary of Big Wednesday would be better than the film itself. The documentary of Apocalypse Now is not better than the film, but certainly as good as the film. It's called um, Hearts of Darkness. Did you ever see yeah. that? No, but I want to. And you know where that comes from, right? Heart of Darkness is the Joseph Conrad book, oh, famous okay. book that the Milius and, and Ford Coppola basically took that heart of darkness and put it on top of the that that time frame the you know the vietnam war gotcha, apocalypse gotcha. now is heart of darkness yeah 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 okay well the documentary film i mean that that was that film was an absolute nightmare to make and yes. so yeah the the documentary is really, really interesting that, right? it's older Great. i'll yeah. send it to you after we get off the air but it's older it's not like a new netflix thing or anything like that it's like um, Marlon Brando on acid and he refuses yeah. to come out of the, he refuse, and he turns into the character and it's actually, sure. gets, it gets creepier than the actual movie. And they get way over budget, way over oh, yeah. timeline, all that sort of stuff. They're just like a remote, they're like a completely rogue film operation that the studio's trying to like cancel and bring back in to like save liability for liability sake. Yeah. Because people are going to die, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and, and Milius, Milius is just like, we're making the greatest piece of art ever. Stay away, you know? We'll shoot you if you come here. Um, I gotta see that. So people don't know, Milius is a surfer from Malibu, like grew up in LA um, as a surfer from sort of like a fringe Malibu wannabe guy is how I've heard it phrased. Um, and, and as I mentioned, he wrote Big Wednesday, but of course he's really famous for punching up screenplays. So he's the guy who wrote the famous line, go ahead, make my day in Dirty Harry. Like they brought in Milius and he made that classic thing. Go ahead, make my day. He punched up a bunch of lines in um, Apocalypse Now and was, and was I think, co-writer of Apocalypse Now with Francis Ford Coppola. Um, there's actually a documentary called Milius as well. That's really good. Oh, good. Uh, so you can do a deep documentary dive this weekend if you want to. Um, but I also heard his daughter interviewed on a podcast like, 
a month ago. I think her name's Andrea Milius. And she has a film, I think, that's just come out. And that's why she was being interviewed. But they did talk about her dad quite a bit. And it sounded like a crazy household to grow up in. And and at her time, he was kind of at the height. Oh, (laughs) he was kind of at the height of his powers. And so she grew up like in Beverly Hills, going to private schools with all these other, like a who's who of A-list celebrities. But of course there was a lot of turmoil in the household. Her dad is like very chaotic and erratic. And so uh, her parents were always fighting. They were sometimes split up, sometimes not. And so, but she said, despite all of her misgivings about her father as a father, he's a genius. So he, he would have these like really profound uh times of creation and even just thoughts and and insights into life but then also spend all of their money in one weekend you know like yeah it was really interesting that's that's kind of sums up the vibe that i got from him and that i've heard about him pretty much what what she is saying he his his big opus that was never made was this movie that he wanted to do on genghis khan and I mean, you know, this thing had a budget of like trillions of dollars, you know, and when I was with him, he was like, the Chinese are coming in. I've got some Chinese investors. This thing's going to happen. We're going to Mongolia. It's going to be, you know, like it was like, like, and he, and he was so, you could tell that he was just welling up with pride about being able to make this film about in his eyes. And I don't want to speak for him, but the vibe I got was that Genghis Khan was his hero. This was the ultimate warrior. There is no greater, you know, he, nobody could hold a candle to him. It didn't matter if you were Alexander the Great or, you know, one of Rome's great warriors. It, it, this Genghis Khan was Milius's guy. Yeah, that's fascinating. He's not, he could be right. Like if you yeah. listen to, no, that, Dan, if you no, listen to sure. that Dan Carlin hardcore history series, it's pretty um, convincing. I just revisited the, the no series. Way. Yeah, on... Um, the great cons. What was it called? Is that it's called the uh, wrath of the cons. The wrath. Yeah, that's right. There's like four, four part series. It's insane. It's it the really best is. ever. Yeah. What's the number, what's the percentage of DNA or the percentage of people who have Genghis Khan DNA in them? It's like it's a crazy like, amount of humans. Yeah. It's, it's something like, I don't know what the number is, but it's all over 70% of us have Genghis Khan in us or something. Yeah, it's crazy. That's how many women he slept with when he was pillaging. Oh, he didn't sleep with them. He raped them. Right. That's right. Thank you. I mean, let's cut to the chase. That's Dan Carlin's whole thing. He's like, you know, it's easy to look back, you know, 15,000 years ago and go, oh, yeah, I've got some Genghis Khan in me. But if you really look at the turmoil and the hurt and the pain and the misery that that guy put on huge quantities of pop of the population it's it's you know i guess what he's saying when you water down history over time it's easy to kind of go oh yeah well he did do a lot of great things he opened up trade he you know everyone like tends to put commerce above not with him misery with him there's it's all negative i feel like um (laughs) but (laughs) so you're saying he didn't wine and dine these women scott no he did not the they're not going to mongolian barbecue (laughs) (laughs) that's another thing if there's mongolian themed restaurants that like hold genghis khan in some sort of light that was positive canceled it's canceled canceled, which is a bummer you know you should listen to that wrath of cons wrath of cons 
Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Uh, one, listen at 1.5 speed. They, absolutely. You should listen to all podcasts at 1.5. Uh, man, we just burned up 20 minutes of our, of our precious showtime. What do you got? Where do we go? David, surfing's history isn't written with words. It's written with surfboards because ours is the most ephemeral of sports. Waves break only once and then they are gone. Rides last for seconds, never to be repeated. Photos fade. Or used to, back when there were surf magazines. The internet, forget about it, literally. Styles come in and out of fashion. Surf stars too. Like the tide, everything is constant. Nothing to hold on to except our surfboards. More than anything else, David, more than any particular style of surfing, or in your case, David, hair, or trunks, or bikini, or music, or movies, classic surfboards tell the story of surfing. That's what tells us where we've been, how we surfed, and why. The only permanent, tangible markers of surfing's timeline, the only piece of surfing history you can actually hold on to in your hands. And that brings me, David, to the California Gold Surf Auction, which will take place April 2nd, and the bidding and lots close Friday, April 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. April 16th, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. California Gold Surf Auction. So you got John Milius to narrate your film and write your ad copy? <laughs> you know, it's great. So I was the, that's the other thing about Milius is that everything he read, I wrote it. I was the writer. So wow. I, so he was reading my words, but of course, guess what he did? He would just, <laughs> he would take the copy, exit out, go, no, 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 no. This is how I'm going to say this. And he would just go. And so I literally have the script somewhere where Milius, and I had him sign it. Yeah. Where he like scratched it out and just said, this is horrible, you know? Did it turn out good? Of course, yeah. And some, much of it he, he, much of it he kept, but there was moments where he's like, no, I'm going to say it like this. Gotcha. But I mean, when you're working with somebody like that, you can tap in, hopefully you tap into their genius and it does turn out good, but you could also go the opposite direction where you get them in a manic phase and it's unintelligible. Yeah. You know? So no, it, it was fun. It was okay. pretty good. I mean, it was, it was just, like I said, you felt like you were, you didn't belong there. Yeah. Right. Well, Scott, guess what's going to happen yes. in one week from today when you and I are recording this next? Uh, we're going to be watching really great surfing competition, I hope, at Newcastle. Hopefully. But you know who won't be there? Kelly Slater. Chloe Andino. Oh Kolo my God! Chloe Andino has withdrawn from the Australian leg of the WSL Championship Tour, including Newcastle, Narrabeen, Margaret River, and Rottnest Island. After sustaining a high ankle sprain in February, he re-injured it following his release from the mandatory 14-day hotel quarantine earlier this week. Andino will be replaced by Matt Banting at Newcastle, and he is as he is the highest ranked surfer on the Australia Oceania qualifying ranking series. Wow. You must be ecstatic. Your boy, Matt Banning's back in. Not only am I ecstatic, this was a prophecy that I laid out six years ago. Maybe it took this long. <laughs> Wait a minute. At it took, some point it's just luck. It took this long to come to fruition. <laughs> I said it. And you're just like, Matt, who? what the heck and i'm yeah. like just wait just wait and now i'm here to collect here's how it goes down david sees an edit he's like oh my god matt banning this guy i love this guy surfing mark my words he's gonna be 
And granted, all of these edits are insane. All of these guys are busting huge airs. And Matt Banning is a great surfer. Does he have what it takes between the ears? We shall see. Wouldn't it be interesting if Matt Banning's on tour in 2022? When he wins a world title sooner than Chloe Andino does, you can, I don't know what, pay me whatever you know we what? bet on that, that six years happen. ago. Who knows? I mean, that could happen. That could totally happen. Um, Definitely top 10. You think Matt Banning's well, a top 10 surfer? I mean, if look who's come around so quickly. No, I'm just saying, look, that's the thing about 2021. It's a wild card. It really you know, is. You know, like 20, after four Australian events, you know, Jadson Andre could be in second place. Totally. So I've got a question for you. Yes, sir. This could be um, the one surfer. If I narrow down everything you just said <laughs> and kind of focus on one surfer who could yes. actually win in 2021 where yeah. they wouldn't win in any other season, you know who that one surfer is? No. Felipe Toledo. Yeah. Felipe's great. And this, this was that's, that's um, not a stretch. I was hoping you were going to have a stretch. Like, well, it is it. No, it is a stretch because it really highlights the main thing that we talked about with him in recent years, which is big waves. He doesn't go on big waves, right? Yeah. So if you eliminate, I mean, pipe wasn't eliminated, but moving forward, you eliminate um, if Chopu doesn't run, cloud breaks, not on the schedule. Uh, G lands off the schedule. If West Oz runs at Margaret river instead of the box and North point, then he really has a chance. He has a chance at Newcastle. He has a chance at Narrabeen. He has a chance at the wave pool. And then all he has to do is get into that top five, essentially through those events. And then he, and if they run in Brazil, he's won that event. So all they have to do is end up in the top five. And if he ends up at lowers, he can win lowers easily. This could be Felipe Toledo's year. I'm trying to look. Okay. He's in 17th place right now. Yeah. Just so you know. Yeah. yeah. No, Felipe, Felipe Toledo. I mean, yeah. That's the thing, right? It could be random. I mean, um, you know who else could win the world title? Kyle Abelli. Yeah. I mean, that's, and my point is, is that there are randos, not that these guys are randos, but I mean, Kyle and Philippe have done enough time on different tours that they can, they can deal with, you know, it's not, I'm not saying a rookie is going to be the guy, but I wouldn't be surprised if some rando middle tier CT guy has a year. Here's what my concern is. None of them will have a year, but they'll all randos will win individual events. And so you'll have that top, uh, like an equal fifth place going into lowers where a number of different guys could slip in. Look, Ryan Callanan is from Newcastle, right? He's from Merriweather. Yeah. So he could win this event. Yeah. And then Narabeen, uh, Connor O'Leary could win that event like a goofy, you know, yeah. and then Rottnest, anybody could win Rottnest. Let's say, like you said, Jadson Andre or somebody wins Rottnest. Then you have like a very topsy-turvy top 10 where like the top 10 or 15 surfers all basically have an equal amount of points. That's a problem. That's a huge yeah. problem going into a lower scenario. Yeah, it's going to be, that's the thing. At the very least, this season is going to be interesting to look at you know, went like six months from like after it's over, we yeah. can kind of look down on it and go, okay, this was, this was a strange year. Obviously it's a strange year, but yeah, you know, there's some names, you know, the, the one that's, that strikes me is Julian Wilson. 
I don't know if we spoke with it. I think I spoke with Joe Trapel a little bit about it, but you know, Julian's training with Luke Egan in Newcastle. He's living in Newcastle. And you just feel like if you want to in next week, when we're watching this event, I would have everybody's eyes on Julian Wilson because he's in 17th place. And basically if you don't get a result in Newcastle, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of time left, but you really feel like there's pressure on Julian Wilson, where if you're in third place, you're like, okay, I'm going to go into Newcastle. Hopefully I'd get a good result, whatever, you know, we'll see what happens. But I sense that Julian's like, shit, you know, I should be in fifth place or third, you know, whatever it is after pipe. I'm in 17th place. I need a result. Plus I've been here. So because I've been here, everyone's like, Oh, he's been here. He should do good. I mean, he's been training with Luke Egan for six months or a year. Like that almost adds pressure to him. The fact that he's been on site for so long. And he didn't have to do the 14 day quarantine recently. He did it when he came back from Hawaii back in December. So he's had all of that as an advantage over his competitors. Yeah. Um, so does pressure bode well for Julian Wilson? I think I th- we'll see, you know, I, I think he can handle it. I think he's proved that he could handle it in the past. You know, I mean, he's, when he's needed results, he's gotten results. He's always been in the top five or 10 or whatever it is more or less, you know, I don't which want... is, which is bad for him. That's not delivering his potential. Well, that's true. That's a good point. That's an interesting way to look at it. Like maybe, you know, maybe he's almost kind of been, for lack of a better phrase, I don't want to say forgotten, but he's under right now. Um, but I'm more concerned about internally. How is he, is he feeling like there's pressure that maybe isn't there, you know, like, is, you know, like is having Luke Egan as your coach at Newcastle for eight months mean that it's, it's going to be crazy. You know, I would love, so I love Julian Wilson surfing and I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but I have given up hope on him ever winning a world title. If he won Newcastle, and then showed some consistency in the next couple of events, that would be a phenomenal story. I would really, really love to see it. I just don't have, I don't feel optimistic that that's how it's going to play out. Um, the, the way that I kind of view Julian surfing when it comes down to like surfing marginal waves is there isn't enough tenacity. Like he doesn't seem to have the same fire to take off on a small wave and, and make a score. He's so good. And his surfing on better, bigger waves is so good. I mean, remember the final that he had against Owen in cloud break, I think it was a couple when Owen got like two tens, Julian, his lines, they just look so drawn out at J Bay, bigger waves. Like he's so good. I don't see him scrambling for scores on small waves. He's almost like above it. Like, I'm just going to sit here and wait till I get a set wave. I'm going to do the sickest bottom turn ever right into a fin fanger. I'm going to, and then like, I'm going to, I can get a 10 on a good wave, but I'm not going to lower myself to serve crappy waves. That's how I view his, that's how I think his view is of things. And I don't know, maybe that's part of working, working with Luke is meant to work against that and to get some of the QS fire back. I just, I don't see it in him. Well, we shall see, right? We got that coming up. We got that to look forward to here next week. So we'll see what happens with with uh, the start of the WSL season. Well, you know who I do see having that fire and tenacity is Matt Banning. <laughs> Number one on the QS for a reason. Oh, Lordy. Yep. By the way, I was talking with Joe about the bottom, you know, every, this is a full season. In other words, the QS, no matter where you, where you are in the QS or how many, I guess I should say, no matter how many 
prime slash challenger series events they run, they're moving the top 10 into the, he said into, that? The, into the CT next year. Yeah. He said it's full season. As far as he knew, he did have a lot of caveats. Like I'm not really privy to that, you know, but. Cause I, my understanding, I asked somebody that I forget who, but I, my understanding is they are not making comment until they know how many, how could they even know the math if they only run seven events instead of nine, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it is up in the air. He did. He wasn't, he basically was saying, don't quote me on it, but I think it's a full year. Yeah. What he's and probably like, well, there's saying, only been, there's only been one challenger event. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so stab magazine released their reader survey, which allowed them to tabulate the 10 most popular surfers. They did survey. Wasn't this a while ago? No. Well, what they did a while ago was stab surfer of the year where they interview yeah. a bunch of pro surfers asking who their favorite surfers are, but they also sent out a reader survey asking who, what's your favorite wetsuit brand? What's your favorite board shore brand? Who's your favorite surfer? All that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so this is from the readers themselves. Uh -huh. And would you like to hear the top 10 popularity contest? It's popularity the, contest. Let's hear it. For the men's side. Yeah. It'll blow your mind. It says, Can I guess? Can I guess? Or yes. Yeah. What am I guessing? The first, number one popularity? Sure. Guess, guess the top three if you want. Um, I'm going to say... Top three is Jack Robinson, um, uh, um, who's our guy from uh, Mike February, and um, who's the guy from Need Essentials, our guy, uh, Torrin Martin. So Jack Robinson's not on the list. Michael February is seventh on the list, and Torrin Martin is 10th. Wow. I know. I'm impressed that you identified Torrin Martin. I barely did. Um, Dane Reynolds was number one. Is that really? surprise? Yeah. Is that shocking? It kind of does because I, I anticipated that stab readers were more Australian than, than American. To me, I'm shocked that Dane Reynolds is still on everybody's kind of radar and awareness or his surfing anyways. I've got the list here now in front of me. So yeah, it's interesting, you know? I, so I think Dane has made a resurgence, obviously, with um, what he's doing for Absolutely. Chapter 11 TV, and I like it a lot. Yeah. But I just... It's not I'm, totally out of left field. It would be it would have been out of left field last year or something. You know what I mean? If he was in the top 10, I can accept that. No problem. But number one? Yeah. I think maybe his surfing's that explosive that it's like it resonates that hard with people. John John Florence being number two makes a lot of sense. Everybody loves John, John Mason Ho number three makes a lot of sense. Everybody yep. loves him and he's producing enough content that he's like relevant in people's mind. Yep. Mick Fanning four, Craig Anderson five. Who's, I mean, Craig Anderson is so, um, he's a great surfer. He's just not in our face every day. I'm surprised that people think of him when they think of their favorite surfers. Um, Kelly Slater, number six, Mike February, seven, Jordy Smith, eight, I was surprised by. For some reason, they listed number nine as other. I'm not sure why they didn't list the name. What is that all about? I have no idea. And I read the full article and they never explained it. And then Torn Martin, number 10. Dane Reynolds got 30% of the votes. John got 24%. So they got really the bulk of all the voting. Mason Ho got 18%. Hmm. So the other fascinating thing about this that I think is relevant to a lot of your and my commentary is that six of these aren't even CT surfers. 
I know it. This thing, this list is really powerful from it the is. perspective of the surf industry. You know, like they're looking at it like, okay, there's one as you mentioned. There's only really two guys on the CT. Well, there's four technically. Well, Kelly, I almost throw Kelly out of that equation. Like when I look at it, I'm like, okay, I see John Florence and I see Jordy Smith. Right. Those are really the two like competitive guys. You know yeah. I mean? Kelly's been on tour for 30 years. You know, he transcends the tour. Like he's not like a tour guy. He's just Kelly. He has his own category. Well, you said this um, has implications for the industry. I would argue, what is the industry at this point? And really, I think this is more has more implication for the WSL than anybody else. Well, and, that could be part of the industry. I'm what I was suggesting to you that decision makers, whoever yeah, they exactly. may be, whoever they may be, decision makers need to look at this and go, "Oh, okay, I better well, throw some marketing dollars over here, or I better t- tweak my brand this way, or what? You know, however well, the, they." The, the point that I'm getting at is there aren't though there aren't the traditional decision makers, and when you look. Uh, four out of those top 10 don't even ride for a major brand. And many of them have their own brand. So like Dane Reynolds riding former, John John Florence having his own Florence uh, Marine X, Kelly Slater having Outer Known. They're, those are decision makers in many yeah, ways. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's, it, but it's a very different version. It's not right. five yeah. brands making decisions and the and them supporting the WSL and everything runs through this narrow, narrow filter. Yeah. Everything's so diffused now and they're all independent. Not only, not only are they independent brands, they're independent media companies generating their own content, yeah. staying I mean, relevant. Yeah, for sure. Jo- Jamie O'Brien is, Jamie O'Brien looks at this list and goes, you know what? I'd like to get Dane and Mason on again. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Ben, ben Gravy's going, you know what? I should uh, do some sort of take on Craig Anderson. You know what yeah. I mean? Like these are the guys that all, almost, if not for sure, have as much power as say somebody like, I don't know, like Evan Slater at Billabong, the marketing, any of the marketing directors at the big brands are almost don't have as much mojo as Jamie O'Brien and Ben Gravy or Jonathan Wayne Freeman. So, which makes me think, what will this list look like in a few years? I mean, Jamie O'Brien will be on this list or Ben Gravy would be on this list in a number of years and Dane can get booted, you know? If Dane got replaced by Ben Gravy, that would be a real interesting world that we're living in. I mean, what you see when you look at this list is you see a lot of authenticity. You know, you see a lot of originality. There's guys that are like, oh, I'm going to remake my, you know, you know, pro surfer 2.0. I'm going to be kind of a soul guy with a guitar and an art palette, you know, and that's not going to fly unless it's authentic, you know, right. and, and these guys are all like Torrin's authentic. Michael February's trip is authentic. Craig, they're all authentic. And yeah. so that's what decision makers are going to be looking at they're going to be looking okay who's got an authentic vibe you know like like i'm you know like ryan birch to me should be on this list in some regard i don't know where he falls on all this but there here's an authentic guy he's like mick jagger you know what i mean the reason the reason why he isn't is because he's not pumping content in your face he would have to be like posting selfies on instagram to make this list that's not his mo no not at all which is not craig's either which is why i'm surprised to see craig on there yeah and that might have something to do with um maybe a recent edit that would dropped and you know like that's something to be considered too yeah when this thing came out 
what was on what were on people's minds like oh did you that craig anderson edit was sick blah, blah, blah. you know and it just it's in your it's in your you know it's right in front and center and so you you vote for him because it is yeah uh another interesting thing is look at the names that aren't on the list no idolo no gabriel yeah so we got an australian you know user base i think on i mean that's what's interests me how much of this is Australian vote and how much of this is North American vote? It's hard. I don't understand why you keep saying that because Dane Reynolds, John John Florence, Mason Ho, Kelly Slater, Michael February, Jordy Smith are not Australian. To think right, that an Australian user base would only vote for Australians is kind of weird. They won't. I just, and the, I, the evidence doesn't show that they do. Well, we don't know what the user base is. That's my point. What we do see is no Brazilians. Exactly. Which is tells us there's not there's no brazilian user base but that implies that brazilians would only vote for brazilians i'm just saying that it would be a different result if there was if there was equal amounts one-third brazilian voters one-third australian voters and one-third north american voters it says something about their voters i'm just not convinced you only vote for your nation state i agree with that i totally agree with that i'm just saying on, it does have an effect on some level. It has an effect, or, or we'd see Idolo there because Idolo. It's weird that be Idolo on... isn't there. Like Idolo is so likable. He's the world champ, and he posts edits all the time. And his edits are mind blowing. Every time he posts a clip, I'm like, "What in the world? He's so talented." So, so what that weird. tells us is it has nothing to do with really the most talented, technically specific surfers in the world. It has to do with who who radiates. I know, and so that's a conversation I had with. Connor O'Leary about um, losing his sponsorship with Quicksilver because I know you'll, I've asked you in the last months, like, Hey, did you see that Connor O'Leary clip? And you're like, Connor who, but when you watch and, and probably that's relevant too. you even having that response is representative of a lot of surf fans. They feel that way as well. And, but when you watch the clip, his surfing is elite. It's like right there at the very top. And so it. what I do like about this list is that there are actual surfers on the list. Ben Gravy isn't on this list, right? So he can be lesser talented than let's say Dane Reynolds, but have more viewers on YouTube because he's entertaining and YouTube's about entertainment. But this list still has surfers on it. It's still like something about Dane's uh, level and John John's level of surfing resonates with people aside from entertainment value. So I think that that's kind of a good thing, but you're right. Idolo, Idolo I, is, I, is missing. I think this list really speaks to how surfing's just a part of the equation for people. You know, what, how, how big of a part, I don't know, but all of these guys on some level, it's like, yeah, he's a good guy, or I, I respect his trip. It doesn't necessarily have to do with, is he better than Connor O'Leary, who's who's a mind-blowing competitive surfer, and obviously his, his free surf edits are insane. He's technically incredible, right? Um, but he's a little bit vanilla. Yeah. Like, Connor O'Leary's, I mean, that's really all you can say about him is, yeah, he surfs incredible. Like, He's doing the most mind-melting one o'clock backside hacks in the game, right? Okay, what else about him, David? Well, he's an Australian. Uh, okay, where does he live? What kind of car does he ride? 
does he do like trips to like you know red you know red bluff or like you know like there's you just all you really know about connor is that he's he's got the potential to win a world title on the ct yeah and there's not much else there for me to like wrap my hands around like he's not uber stylist guy who right you know plays a guitar on the at a beach fire afterwards you know and drinks corona with lime you know what i mean like it's like who is the guy yeah and, and i mean ultimately the world this is a consumer's world at this point when it comes to surfing we have access to everything so unless you're really vying for our attention and surfing better than everybody else and entertaining us and reminding us of that three times a day somebody else is going to get the attention that's By the way we're the, living in what's interesting too david and you should know this this will be interesting not maybe not interesting but i'll say it anyway so when we were doing the surfer poll back when i was at surfer magazine from like 99 to 07 we had the surfer poll awards which was a huge deal like people professionals had it written in their contract you got a bonus depending on where you are in the surfer poll you know and and we put it at one point once the internet got up and running you know we put it out on the internet right and so obviously this is a reader's poll and we would get the results and it was a very hush hush in the office only the publisher like paladini or rick irons or kevin meehan they would kind of and, and the editors and the publisher together would kind of like not let anyone else see the list, you know? But at some point we all got brought into editorial meetings and believe me, there was times when there was guys on the list who now you'd be like, okay, that makes sense. He's a fun loving guy. People, you know, like maybe like a wing nut or somebody like that, you know, I'm not saying he was on the list, but there would be a free surfer on the list and, and guys, certain guys, like ad guys and publisher types would be like, no, 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 no. We've got to have CT guys. How come, you know, you know, this guy's not, we got him. And there would be shuffling. There would be editorial based decisions where it's like, you know what? Actually they weren't editorial. They weren't editorial decisions. They were advertising decisions. Like these guys spend a ton of money with us. We got to have their guy at number nine, you know? Wow. And and we would move stuff around and it just happened because that's the nature of the commercial marketplace, you know, back then. And that kind of speaks to what you're saying is like now, if 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 Mason Ho's not on the list, there's something wrong. Yeah, he doesn't surf on the CT, but are you kidding me? He's the talk of the town. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not surprised by that reveal. And um, I'm disappointed by it, but I'm not surprised. Oh, come on. No, I am. <laughs> you I sound am. sad. <laughs> no, I am because look, I, my adult self understands that surfer magazine is a entertainment publication and they're never once said that they were held to the standards of journalism that whatever main media, New York times or anybody, wall street journal is held to. Right. So that's fine. They were there to entertain us and they'd made decisions. But I'm disappointed because that was the Bible of surfing. That was the Bible, like, let the people speak. If the people spoke, let them speak, you know? That's what's disappointing. Well, a lot of times what would happen too is like, you'd get, you'd get a massive influx, like one, like 15 trolls would just be like, you know, Toby Martin, Toby Martin, Toby Martin, Toby Martin, Toby yeah. Martin. Toby Martin would be number two. And you'd be like, what? Toby yeah. Martin shouldn't be number two, maybe number nine. Right. You know, and I'm just using him as an example. That never happened with Toby. He's the first name I could come up with. Yeah. 
but that type of guy where you're like, okay, he's number 31 on the tour and he's just sort of a C-level pro. How come he's number two? That's not right. Well, so I like uh, the world that we're living in now better, to be honest. I like that this, it's not so homogenized. Yes. And I, I also like that, I mean, this is the first one of these lists, whether it's surfer poll or the stab readers poll or whatever other ones exist, where they're not all high performance short borders. Like Torin Martin doesn't yeah. ride shortboards really. And uh, Michael February did when he was on tour, but he traditionally doesn't. And so I think it's a little bit more reflective of what you see in the lineup. I just remembered who one of the names that came up that, that the advertisers would cringe. Chris Davidson. And, and the editorial staff would be like, what's the problem? No, Laird. Oh. Laird, Laird would come in really high. But he had no brands that sponsored any ads, you know, and and the editorial staff. And again, I'm kind of I'm riffing on my my sordid memory, my memory that's a little bit lacking on ex, on exactness. But I remember the editorial staff being like, Laird's the best surfer in the world. Are you kidding me? You know, like at the time he was doing shit at Jaws that nobody was doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. And, so this is know, exactly why Laird has a chip on his shoulder about the industry or magazines and also why he laughed all the way to the bank with Laird Superfoods. You know, like that type of adversity, he, like he probably would have taken, he, no, he probably would have taken. No, I'm having Laird no, Superfoods. No, right no, you're not. You don't drink that anymore, Scott. Along with my athletic <laughs> greens, which I absolutely friggin' love. Um, so... Laird would have happily probably collected a $300,000 check from name the brand for a decade or two and never had the moxie to do what he's done since. But that level of adversity of just like, I guess I got to forge my own way. You then well, he, forge your own way. And then he cashes in for 35 million bucks. He had sponsors. They just weren't. You know what I mean? You know yes, what I mean? He, I he honestly, he exactly what you just explained is what, he encountered yeah my entire yeah. youth i'm like yeah. i know of this guy i've seen photos of him but you know why is he not being promoted through the main channel well on top of that he had an insane manager uh i forget her name but i used to deal with her and she was um she was a bit of a pit bull i mean she was a really great manager for him but she would be you know calling you know you'd hear like you know Ricky, line two, Laird's manager, <laughs> whatever, you know, <laughs> blast through the office and you'd be like, oh, here we go. Rick's taking a call about, you know, you know, it was just, it was funny. I actually, I have some mini DV tapes. I have many, many DV tapes. Some of them, I would just, because I was the online editorial director, I'd go into edit meetings and just kind of hide and turn the thing on and just kind of like go like this, you know, <laughs> like, and people would be like, wait a minute, is that thing on? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm filming it right now. I did it for the big issue. And the editorial staff, all of them got pissed off. They're like, give me the tape right now. You And it was all discussions about what the big issue should be and who should be on the cover and how come he's important. And, you know, like all of these, edit which I, I knew at the time, I go, you know what? In 15 years, this is going to be fascinating. Uh, totally. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, what, I don't know what you could even do with them. Like how I don't either. Would, but, but they are a piece of history for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, Scott, should we go to commercial break? Do you need, you need restroom no, break quite yet? No, I don't take restroom breaks. What are you talking about? These, these are commercial breaks that we have here. 
perfect. Well, anyway, let's cut to commercial. We'll come back. I've got some more thoughts on um, Andy Irons and the Radicals and a couple of other things going on, but let's go to commercial. We'll be back. All right, right. Scott, back from commercial. This isn't a commercial, but as you know, I'm on the board at SurfAid and we've got this... um, let me tell you real quick, if I may, if you'll give me, Please. I want you to enter the clean water challenge. It started a couple of days ago, which was World Water Day, March 22nd. You've probably seen a lot of Instagram posts yeah. about World Water Day. Um, surfers everywhere are being asked to catch 30 waves within 30 days on behalf of Surf Aid and World Water Day. That is what we're asking. That is the clean water challenge to catch 30 waves, post them up on Instagram with the hashtag SurfAid Clean Water Challenge or at SurfAid. Um, and you will, um, when you post your rides, you will be entered to win. Um, there's gonna be judges like Rob Machado and some other guys are gonna judge your rides. Now you gotta, you gotta go over to um, the SurfAid website to sign up. And of course, um, the winners are gonna receive Firewire surfboards and some other stuff. But the whole idea is to raise money and raise awareness World Water Day, um, we've got a bunch of people involved. I'm involved. David, you should sign up, upload photos of yourself surfing. You don't even have to upload the photos. We just want you to catch 30 waves. Just go out and catch 30 waves. Sign up, call your network of people, say, hey, give me a dollar a wave, raise 500 bucks for World Water Day, the clean water challenge that's happening now. Clean water is completely solvable. Everybody in the world can have clean water. That's right. It's crazy. It is yeah. a it is a uh, blight on humanity that that there are people that don't have access to clean water, and so I would definitely second your motion, Scott, and get behind this. Okay, good stuff. Um, do you want Rob Machado judging your surfing? That is my question. <laughs> that that is you're pitching that as if that is a benefit. I am saying I feel uh, a little insecure about having my surfing judged by Rob Machado. Uh, Rob's pretty diplomatic. He, he's, you know, he's going to, uh, he's just basically going to go, Hey, you know what? He's going to find the good, not the bad. Yeah. But I've been having my surfing judged by Brad Gerlach recently. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. Did I tell you that I'm doing yeah, the one-on-one so, training? Well, here's the thing. You got to check this out. I almost sent this to you yesterday. So I was doing a deep dive on, on Matt Warshaw's encyclopedia of surfing. I was looking through some videos. And they had a video that was created by Gotcha back in like, I don't know, 1988 or something. And it was Michael Thompson doing narration and talking about the Gotcha team. It was obvious, it was done by Bill Delaney who did Free Ride, the great movie Free Ride. And it was obviously a, a marketing piece that was to be given to or sent out to, you know, Gotcha retailers, you know, sort of an inside marketing thing. And there was Brad Gerlach and he was surfing with so much Kai, is it key or Kai? Key. Key. He was surfing with so much key and they had it in slow motion. So you're just watching Brad doing the key on the wave. And I was like, David needs to see this. Brad would have probably been stoked to see this because it was all of the classic kind of Brad hand jive, body torque, body contortions. It's basically hula dancing. Brad's just following his hands everywhere. Yeah. And it was, um, and it made me think of you and, and the, and the wave key that you're doing. He's, he's incredible. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> you know, you go to church and then you're like, Oh yes. Reminder like this. 
is how I need. Good. This feels good. This is how I need to be. Like, yeah. why did I? It took seven. Like each Monday, I'm pretty good. Tuesday, less good. By by Saturday, you know, you're just like you've forgotten all of the principles, and yeah. or you know them in intellectually. You're just not living in them. That's yes. what that's what wave key is. And he says like two sentences, and I just go. Oh, you're freaking right. How did I get so far from these principles? And our last lesson that we did, uh, we kind of went, like we had been working on some stuff like where I'm actually standing and doing things. And then he goes, okay, like start from the beginning, like get down on the ground. We're doing it on Zoom. He goes, start from the beginning, get down on the ground and like get up and go through the thing. I need to see these. This must be incredibly embarrassing. It really is. And I've got them all on video. I'm going to make some sort of a podcast series out of them because it really is. It's humbling. I mean, it's humbling in a way that we all need to be humbled though. Well, at the risk of continuing the interruption, this podcast series needs to, at the end of it, we need to see you on a wave. We're going to actually, we're going to have the waves throughout it. Like, like, because I've been sending him footage. So we'll have the waves from the beginning and watching the improvement. Cool. But, but, uh, He's like, go through from the beginning. So I get on the ground and you paddle, 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 and you stand up. And he's just like, what? Like, wait, <laughs> what was that? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? And because I was focused on so many other things, I forgot just like I got, I stood up to my feet the same way I've been doing it for 25 years, but yeah. not the way that I learned how to do it in wave key four months ago, you know? Right. And so we go, he's like, all right, well, that's what we're working on today. And we just worked on getting to your feet and I'll, I'll try to sum it up. I always misspeak because his instructions yeah. are just better, but yeah. ultimately what it is, is you're not um, lifting your head and chest. You don't want to lift your head and chest up first. You keep your head and chest pressed against your board and you like slide your back feet underneath you and your hips up. And then you lift your head up. So really? yeah, it's bizarre. And, but when you watch Brad surf, that's what he's doing. He's keeping I've, that stuff so low. That so, is fascinating to me because I've actually been, been working on the exact opposite, which is, I feel like I'm keeping my head down and I'm not seeing what's going on around me. And so I'm making an effort to like, be more like this. Well, know? the rationale is you'll be, have all of that forward momentum already pushing down the wave face and down into the bottom turn. So by the time you kind of lift your head, you're in the bottom turn, looking up, coming up. And all of that, all of that momentum is driving your board. Okay. So it's like an inertia velocity thing. It is. It's low. It's low. And ultimately, I like low. I like low. And ultimately all of that ends up in that Tom Curran kind of sitting in your hips squat where all of that energy is low. And just pushing. So the opposite is maybe when you see a longboard or paddle in and like stretch their chest up to like have yeah. a look, maybe they're going to fade or something yeah. and then pop to their feet. That's the opposite. And so you don't have, and that's, you know, it's yeah. different for a reason because you're riding a big longboard. Yeah. But anyways, that working on that staying low thing. So I end up yesterday, I paddle out and I'm like, I'm just going to focus on this. Right. I can get to my feet. Like if I'm just left to my own devices, I get to my feet, do a couple turns, surf down the line. But we're restructuring all of that at this point. Yeah. So I was eating, I was eating crap. Like 
I got this set wave came to me. It was such a good one. And there's a couple people paddling out right on the shoulder that have like the perfect view. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to focus on what I'm working on. And so I stayed low. Like I got up perfectly to my feet and I'm like in the bottom turn by the time I'm ready to lift my head up. But I had kind of too much forward momentum on my toes from trying to keep my head and chest pressed against the board. And it's like, I got to my feet and then initially immediately like went face plant into the bottom turn at the bottom of the wave as it's just like a perfect right peeling up and like the biggest kook fall ever. Yeah. But I did the thing right, right before that, you know, like getting to my feet, I did right. I just then ate it as soon as I got up to my feet and it was so embarrassing, but I, you have to shirk all of that embarrassment and find a place of humility to reset the fundamentals. You know, that's what it comes down. You know, I, I've told you this before, but, um, Brad gave me one of the, I don't even think he realized he gave it to me, but he was telling me a story in it. And uh, it worked for me. And he, he was out, it was during September sessions, <clears throat> excuse me. And he was out surfing in the Mentalize at Lance's Ride at HT's. And Ken Bradshaw was out there with Lane Beachley. And they just happened to be on a boat and they were surfing. And Bradshaw wasn't making the tube at HT's. He kept not coming out at the, and it's a, it can be kind of a top, sort of a pinchy kind of almond tube, not necessarily a big gaping wide open square thing. And Brad told me, he goes, look, Ken, he told Ken Bradshaw, he goes, Ken, what you got to do is look up. You're not looking up, continually look up and you'll come out of the tube. And Bradshaw started to do that and paddled out, according to my recollection of the story, paddled out to Brad and said, hey, thanks for the tip. I'm, I've been making way more tubes now that I'm looking up. Wow. And so I went and I've been, I, I take that into, I took that and went, oh, I'm going to start to use that. And I noticed it really, really helped me um, to get my percentage of coming out of the barrel is to look up at the top of the cylinder. And it allows you to kind of move and stay up, you know, steeper in the wave face. And like I said, I don't think Brad realizes, but he was a big, it's been a big benefit to me to just take that one little tip. Fascinating. Yeah. The, again, the insights I, and then like, I, start going back to my old ways, you know, like the longer I have without a one-on-one lesson. And by the way, that's the benefit of the program. Uh, If you're not doing the one-on-one, you could just do wavekey.com, like sign up for the tutorials and pay a monthly fee and just go through the tutorials. That's the benefit of doing the tutorials every day is just making it a practice, you know, just kind of going through the motions. And so that when you get into the water, you could just kind of do it more naturally. Yeah, our, pro- habits. our problem is that we've been doing the way we do it for 35, exactly. 45 years. Where, right. where, so it's like you're, re- you're rebuilding a golf swing yep. and your innate moves are going to need to be broken down. And that's going to, you know, that's, that's hard to do. But the, for the vulnerable adult learners out there, this, Start like, this, benef- this benefits you and I, like the little teeny tip that I just told you about, there's a million of those little tips that totally. you can use. But with, the vow with the vulnerable adult learner, this is a great place to get some foundation because they probably, basically, I've always said, look, the reason kids are good surfers is because they skateboard a lot and they just simulate surfing on their skateboard. And so we've got these natural moves and you can tell a guy that's got a good style, automatically I go, that kid skated. I know that kid skated, I can tell. 
And so the Val doesn't have that. They're 28 years old. They're from Silicon Valley or they're, you know, there's some tech guy that moved here from Chicago and they're learning how to surf. This Brad's thing is perfect for, for learning because right. as, a, as an adult, because it gives you all of these little nuances. Well, I was watching this footage from Jai Glendeman in uh, Australia and his fundamentals are so amazing. And so, and so a lot of what I've learned through Wavekey, I'm like, oh my God, he's applying just naturally. He gets yeah. it. And then I thought, okay, if I would have watched Jai Glendeman surf a year ago, my, I would have thought there's no way I could do anything that he's doing, but I can kind of develop my own style and have my own version of surfing. Now I watch it and it feels attainable. Not that I'll look as cool as him or do it as good as him, but just like all that he's doing is sitting in his hips the way that Brad told me to sit my hips. So like my distance from where I'm at to where I want to be is a simple hip adjustment. It's not, I have to learn how to do 10 different types of turn and do that. It's, it's much more simple than that, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's just the hip adjustment will get you to where you want to go on the wave. Yeah. Um, and by the way, this is not a paid advertisement for WaveKey at all. But I did interview Brad, year, uh, I don't know how long ago, months and months ago. And he gave me a promo code that was 10% off. So I just looked that up while we were talking. And it's um, WaveKey Splendor, all uppercase. I don't know if it still applies. I presume that it still does, but if listeners want to sign up, maybe they can get 10% off WaveKey Splendor yeah. uh, and wavekey.com is their website, but I'm a big fan. And the other thing is it's um, made me en engaging in the process has actually made me more excited about surfing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Just talking about it has got me kind of thinking, you know, maybe I need to keep my head down. It's easy when, <laughs> when you got a super sore neck it's easy to my whole thing is i feel like i need to i'm not looking which is my problem yeah well anyway. look around and then just when you give those last three paddles head down against the board All slide right. your feet up underneath you and then boom fair enough um so scott neat essentials is releasing a four-part series they're wow. gonna take you they're gonna take you on the journey of a lifetime from cool. the far uh, northern reaches of Ireland and Scotland in part one, and then on to North Africa and Western Sah uh, Sahara. Oh, called... those are going to be killer rights. Well, Lost, they made a film called Lost Track New Zealand where Torin and Ishka yeah. did like that three month, I think it was a three month trip. I saw that, yeah. Yeah. And that was last year. So, or that film came out last year. So they've spent a bunch of this past year doing this trip and it's called Lost Track Atlantic. And it'll be a four part series. They're explore their way through Morocco. Yeah. Sounds like Morocco. And then they go deeper into West. So it's going to be, and Morocco has been firing this season. Do you know what those guys know how to do? What? Is find good waves, empty. Well, that's not, waves. that's not hard, especially there. But Western well, Sierra has got these incredible right points that are just like, you know, mind-blowing desert perfection like it's basically baja on you know, steroids you know it's not hard but you know what it does require yeah money and time T time not a lot of money probably but certainly time and a customized van to live in that helps right so is this where, is this where you pitch the van company or something? No. <laughs> that sounded like sound like you're setting up to go let me tell you about the van co volkswagen's new van again no it is not i'm just saying that's what they did and that i mean that solves if you have the time and just like the freedom in your schedule which covid provided 
why didn't we? Why didn't we, Scott? Hindsight is I know that's, literally. That question's been bandied about lately. Like if you had known that you had a year and a half to just sit at home, would you have done something different? Baja is just it's right there for us. That's true. We could have done Baja. <sighs> Endlessly. Know endlessly just be like crazy right anyways those guys did it and it's yeah. gonna the film will be out uh mid-april i think april 15th part one drops uh um, you know what i did i so i built a wall yeah, a retaining wall in my backyard and i baked a bunch of sourdough bread sweet how'd that work out for you it's working out great okay good that yeah. wall's doing its job the wall's keeping keeping people out <laughs> keeping the dirt from falling into your house yeah exactly awesome yeah. awesome do you have any uh any other closing thoughts or well, must-see look, moments or i mean Dukes and i watched i watched the last episode of um andy irons and the radicals oh, yeah, on yeah. stab which was that whole series was great um i enjoyed it thoroughly um you know the big question did i learn anything new about andy irons i don't think i did um, but what I did do is I think I've become more empathetic to his, his mental health situation. I've definitely become a bigger fan. I was in the last installment, Andy literally talks about the people that like, he was kind of like the black hat and Kelly Slater was the white hat and you were in two camps and I was in the Kelly Slater camp. And, um, and then he talks about when he came back from being retired to try to, you know, attain another title or just to win another event. Those people in Kelly's camp became more uh, amenable to being in the, in the Andy Irons camp. And I was one of those guys. I was like, yeah, okay. Andy's not that bad. And I've grown more and more <clears throat> to um, appreciate Andy as a human being rather than the guy in the black hat that was out to beat my guy in the white hat. And, um, and so, from that perspective, the movie did a lot for me personally. And I think it's great. And um, I will say that I think they probably could have edited this movie down to um, less than four parts. This could have been, you know, probably definitely three, maybe two and a half. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, they rehash and they kind of, they kind of say the same talking points with talking heads over and over, which as a filmmaker, in my opinion, if this guy says this, I don't necessarily need this guy to say the same thing. Find the guy that says it best and just use him. So part three alone was 37 minutes. Yeah. It's a big commitment. Um, yeah. I did not watch part four yet. I'm a week or two behind, but I watched part three yesterday because I wanted to catch up. And I agree. I loved it. I think it's so well done. Um, what I liked, one thing that Andy's surfing reminded me about is when he was surfing in heats, how expressive he was. And we don't, we don't see a lot of that anymore. Like there was a technical prowess that he was executing for the judges, but beyond that, there was flair and expression. And I would love to see a return to that. We don't see that with I mean, honestly, I have a hard time thinking of any of the top surfers that we do see it with. Yeah, they're almost too technical. You see it with Idolo. Um, John, you know, maybe a little bit. Yeah, you see it with John. There's guys that 
that throw their personality and 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 throw a little um, like moxie and a little daring um, and are willing to put it out there as opposed to, oh, I better hold back for the score. And, um, you know, there's guys that do it. But so the it reminded me that we need like whoever can really come out and maintain the same uh, technical kind of prowess, but also add that will really make um uh, I don't know, a difference in the judge's eyes. It'll be a big point of difference. It's kind of like, you remember that Haliva Reef event that Dane Reynolds was in? Yeah. I don't know who the hell won, but we know he did a club sandwich and that was fucking mind blowing. You know what yeah. I mean? I, could you tell me who won that event right now if I asked you? Heck no. Yeah. And it wasn't exactly, a club. But it was just a big layback. Whatever. It was a mind blowing thing. It was, yeah. And um, But half a club sandwich. Yeah. Um, no, club sandwich, no mayo. Exactly. Uh, the other thing that I liked is the interviews I thought were excellent. Like they did a good job. Uh, whoever interviewed did a great job of getting everybody to really open up. Well, the uh, next one you're going to dig because it's got Kelly in it. Oh, right. Yeah, well, I thought, so the surprise interview that I enjoyed the most was Shay Lopez. Well, Chase, both the Lopez brothers are great. I think they could have done less Wardo. I don't necessarily need Wardo is a little stony and a little Wardo's. It wasn't like he was digging deep for incredible insight. Oh, the backside tube riding conversation I found uh, helpful. And by the way, watching Wardo backside tube ride is freaking poetry. Like he's an overlooked backside tube rider. They were all talking about Andy and Bruce, deservedly so, but Wardo is amazing yeah when he was on the when he was on the rusty team there's some footage of him from cloud break that's pretty mind-blowing yeah savant level talent what but shay lopez somebody that um we don't hear from that often but he is a pretty amazing thinker yeah they're both very super smart very good articulator yeah both those guys i agree Corey Um, and shay Seeing Bruce surf in the 90s and 2000s was a great reminder of what a phenom that kid was. I mean, God, he was so amazing to, at, at the height of his. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing about this series at large is you cannot have a great surf film without good surfing. And the surfing in this is next level. Yeah. And even even though it's 20 years old at this point or more, it is still on another level. And so I feel like, uh, yeah, you can add inter- interesting interviews and like have a storyline or whatever. The Momentum Generation, you know, it was, it was a good documentary and there are there is good surfing in it. Those guys are all world-class surfers as well. But this really lets the surfing be the highlight. They'll go three to four minute segments of just surfing footage, ripping like a surf video, you know? And so I liked that that was still the meat and potatoes of this was amazing surfing yeah yeah it's good it's definitely a, a good series and super fun to watch and um you know the only times i was like okay let's move forward where where there was just the same uh talking heads saying the same thing over and over yeah yeah but worth worth the price of admission for stab premium if you ask me absolutely this hat alone is worth the price of stab premium they gave you wax too I know. I put it on my new board, actually. New board? Yeah, I got a new board. Great. What'd you get? <laughs> I've come to realize that I I can't order custom boards anymore and expect to get them within five months. So I'm like, 
I'm just going to have to buy a board off the rack, I guess. So what'd you get? Well, I got a, some, I was trying, I'm trying to find a board as close to my beloved golden nugget, Mike Hinson Twinser that I rode predominantly for six years. And so I got a Von Sol. I got, I had Sean Madison um, had, had some boards and that's the board I got the golden nugget from the Mike Hinson was from Sean Madison. So I got a, I got a Von Sol Twinser and um, it feels great. It does awesome. feel very, it's got down rails. I've just, too many of the boards, if you go into a surf shop and you grab a fish, they're all soft. They're all made for guys that are like, they're like afraid to put an edge on it because they're like, oh, this guy might not be able to handle it. You know what I mean? And the one that I'm riding now that I just got has got a down rail all the way up. I'm not saying it's like an edge, you know, like a Maurice Cole type thing, but it's got it tucked under down rail. It's not all 50-50 up in the front. I like that speed. I need that speed. And um, cause I don't do much turning, so I'm just going straight. <laughs> so speed is my friend. What height is it? 5'11". Okay. Plenty of foam. Yeah. What, Feels uh, good. what kind of fins you running? Well, it's funny you say that. So he's got his own series of fins that he put in it for me, but I was telling him I was going to try to put those C drives from naked Vikings in it yeah. as a twins are set up. So those C drives, as the base fin and then the two little twins are fins in front, that might be chaotic. I don't know. I need to, to, that's probably not going to work. Like that seems like a lot of weirdness, but we're going to try it. We're going to so try it. I'm wondering what, um, what is the twins are? Can you articulate what the benefit of the twins are is? Yeah. And I'll try to, to me, figure out how to work the math equation with the, the C drives. With, yeah. So the twins are to me provides squirt. It provides, and I need that. And what I mean by squirt is when I need a little extra, one more little crank on the throttle to get around a section that's crumbling in front of me or that's breaking in front of me. And it's a section that normally I'd be like, Oh, I'm not going to make it. And I'd straighten out those twins are for me. And I think it's combined with that fast down rail allows me, it gives me one little extra pump gets me around to the section and into the next and it keeps okay. the wave open for me that's okay. the thing squirt not maneuverability necessarily but just a little extra gear and one more little gear that gets me around and through areas okay then i don't think that should uh negatively affect the c drives i agree i'm 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 willing to i'm looking forward to giving it a try um yeah. I've been riding the board and there's been solid waves down here, solid windswell for at least yeah. a week. Yeah. I got mercilessly pounded to really? with an inch of my life the other day at a beach break I've been surfing. And it wasn't even that big. It was like three to four feet. It was low tide in the morning offshore and just dumping and dumping and dumping. And with an ice cream headache, by the way, the water's as cold as it's ever been in my life. It's easily 55 or 56 degrees. Now, you know, for Southern California, that's butt cold. I had this ice cream headache. I was getting pounded, just, just relentless, you know, like luckily my ego allowed me to escape out there and I got out, but I mean, it, it was brutal. Yeah. I love wind swelly surf though. Yeah. It's been fun down here. Good. But my point is I've been riding the board in waves that I might not normally ride the board. And I would maybe normally grab a, like a performance oriented tri-fin or a quad. Yeah, but I just wanted to ride it, and it's and it's been going. It's fast. The board's fast. The waves have been fast. 
Awesome. Well, if listeners want to grab C drives from NVS, I think it's surfnvs.com and then um, 10% off with promo code podcast. That's yeah. always applicable and uh, always need fins. Always have new boards. Always need fins. Yeah, man. All right, Scott. Well, hey, good show. Uh, I can't wait for the WSL Aussie leg to kick off. Hopefully next time we're recording, it'll be happening. Yeah, we shall see. And um, I will have Peter Townend on the Boardroom podcast uh, early next week. Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Okay, until next time. Adios and aloha.
down from heaven. Hardships, difficulties, tears, storms. This is what I do. Oh, that feels good. I know God is working, so I smile. All things are working. Even though I'm in it for a while. Still. I smile. Smile. Hallelujah. It's so hard to look up when you've been down. I know it's hard right now. I sure would hate to see you give up now. Because you're a winner. You look so much better when you smile. You look better. So smile. Can't nobody take that from you. <laughs> I see you. Smile. 